Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panel. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. I'm Drew. What's happening, everybody? Hey, y'all. So this week, we are continuing with our read-through of Invincible the Series. And uh, we're, this, uh, for, this is, oh man, what year is this in, in Invincible? Year five for us? Yeah, year five. Year five. So that's uh, volume 10 through 11 in the trades. And what issues are those exactly, Drew? Issues 48 through 59. Sounds good. Sounds good. You mind giving us the credits? Don't mind at all. So obviously written by Robert Kirkman, penciled by Ryan Otley. He inked a couple of the issues in this batch, but we also have Cliff Rathburn coming on board as inker starting around uh, issue 52. Bill Crabtree colored issues 48 through 50, and then we have a new colorist for the rest of the issues, FCO Placencia, doing the rest of the issues in today's batch. Russ Wooten is the letterer, and this group of issues also includes The Astounding Wolfman, number 11, which was a crossover with, with Invincible, and that issue was penciled by Jason Howard and also written by Robert Kirkman. You want to give a brief rundown of where we left off with the last year's worth of issues? Um, <laughs> I'll be honest, it's uh, it's been a while, so I don't quite remember the exact things that happened in the last uh, in the last year. Um, you know, but I would recommend if you guys are, we I assume that you know you've been following us on this journey, so the episodes are there. Uh, you know, feel free to go back and. Listen to those episodes and uh, catch up with us on our journey through Invincible. But um, the main thing that uh, stand out to me from those issues was, first of all, uh, the Viltrumites came back to Earth and basically gave Mark, uh, you know, kind of this ultimatum warning thing to let him know that they're out there and. You know, he he has an indefinite amount of time to prepare Earth for their eventual takeover. Yeah. And then you got Alan, the alien, purposely allowing himself to get imprisoned by the Viltrumites so he can find Mark's father, Omni-Man, and hopefully uh, get him to work with the coalition against the Viltrumites. Yeah. And I believe the the last... Well, wasn't last year also the big Angstrom-Levy story? Or was that the year before? <laughs> I forget. Yeah. The thing I remember about how how uh, last year's uh, run ended was was how uh, that one dude, Sinclair, who was developing the Reanimen, it turns out that after Mark arrested him or turned him into Cecil, Cecil actually put him to work. So he's building government-sponsored reanimen exactly so he he basically takes him on as an i guess employee or subordinate to to utilize his his knowledge and his weaponry in Mm -hmm. the defense of earth yeah And, and that's just kind of the big hanging plot thread uh that they that they leave out there um yeah I don't know. The, is last year the year that also introduces uh, the 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 baby? 
or is that the year before that? I think I think Oliver was introduced before that, but he's starting okay. to grow up. Okay. He's starting to grow up, and uh, oh yeah, I think those last issues we read also had uh, Mark and Amber breaking, breaking up. up. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I guess we can give a brief uh, description of the status quo as it stands in this current year's year of uh, of Invincible, which is Mark and Amber have broken up, but He's finally gotten the courage to, well, okay, I, I don't remember if this part is last year, but didn't last year end with him finally revealing his 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 love to Atom Eve, and, um, and she is, I'm trying to find words to, to describe it, but due to the circumstances of how he revealed or why he decided he wanted to be with her. She, she essentially questions whether he really wanted to be with her. Yeah. You know, for the sake of actually being with her. Right. Or whether he he just wanted to be with her uh, because circumstances kind of opened up a certain way, you know? And that's kind of where they are at the beginning of this this year where they're just it's a little kind of... bit uneasy between them exactly they they both yeah. obviously want to be with each other but there's all there's just that little i don't know that that mental Block. hang up hanging over their heads where it's yeah. like is mark just interested in in eve because he, he met the out. eve from the future yeah so one of the things about how issues 48 through 50 begin is is how the uh, situation with Sinclair and the Reanimin gets pushed to the forefront pretty quickly. Yeah. Ki- kind of surprising because we've had so many issues where other plot threads were introduced and they took, you know, years to percolate yeah. before coming into fruition. and. Uh, and in the last issue, I think it. I think that last issue, forty-seven. I think it ended with us learning that uh, Sinclair was building Reanimin for Cecil, and and then yeah. this first story arc starts out with that one crazy dude who has the underground uh, monster army. He's he ends up somehow capturing all the heroes. Universe. Yeah, he's the invincible universe version of like. The mole man or something like that yeah 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 so they, um, they get all the heroes he gets all the heroes trapped and invincible tries to to save them he and eve try to save all the other heroes and they still get overwhelmed and it's not until cecil commands his uh sinclair and his reanimate to to save everybody and it's yeah. not only uh the reanimate but also darkwing yeah, the, the guy that we saw a couple of years ago, that that was in that uh, what was it he like was, a domed city, like the city that was like perpetually in some state of darkness and crime. Yeah, so he was basically, I guess, a stand-in for their universe's version of Batman or something like that, and he was a character who was 
the sidekick to to the original Nightwing is the guy's name, right? Or Darkwing. Darkwing. Darkwing, yeah. And so when Invincible goes into that domed world, you know, he finds this guy and he thinks that he's a hero, but then it turns out that all this time spent in this domed world had driven him mad and he was just going around murdering a bunch of people and Invincible was going uh invincible eventually takes him on and you know he beats him and uh gives him to cecil with the presumption that he would be punished for what he did Mm -hmm. but uh yeah so in this moment we find like you said cecil so when all the heroes are captured by uh I, i think his name was dr seismic or something like that Oh, yeah, that's right. Doc Seismic. Doc Seismic. So when Invincible and all the other superheroes are captured by Doc Seismic and his un- his army of underground monsters, um, Cecil has no choice but to unleash his ace, which is, you know, his army of reanimen, which are like uh, zombie cyborgs and night uh, Darkwing. And so... You know, just a little bit of context for for those of you listening. Cecil, at this point, we mentioned in previous podcast, he he's kind of like Nick Fury or something, just this government spook who took Invincible under his wing. And up to this point, uh, we the reader have 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 seen in have seen like the darker side of his character, but. Uh, in previous podcasts, we mentioned how how genuine and sincere and you know good this guy was coming off, you know, and <laughs> and in this in this year in year five, we finally see the cracks of of what's going on beneath the surface as uh, we see that Cecil isn't really this altruistic heroic dude that that we think he is. Uh, he's he was kind of that stereotypical government hard, hard ass spook, you know, just like Nick Fury, man, just like Nick Fury, just, yeah, just the kind of guy who's willing to use every asset available to him and justifies it by saying that it's in the, de- it's in the defense of the planet, you know? Yep. So, yep. so when, uh, you know these reanimate attack and uh, along with Darkwing, you know they save all the heroes, but Mark is, you know he's he's understandably pissed at the situation because he was saying, you know Darkwing uh, killed all these people, and you just swept that all under under the rug, you know like nobody knows about it, uh, even even the other superheroes aren't aware that this thing happened Mm -hmm. and you know what's the name of the professor who creates the animan sinclair d.a sinclair yes and he goes he he, you know um mark mark is basically saying uh sinclair was experimenting on homeless people and you're not doing anything to punish him for what he did in fact you're allowing him to continue to be this mad scientist yeah and it's it's definitely a breaking point in their relationship you know because at this point um 
Invincible is working for uh, Cecil as an employee, and uh, Cecil's basically been taking care of his family, paying his bills, and, you know, just helping him out. And, yeah, it just leads into a big battle. Yeah. You know? It, it, it gets to the point where it's revealed that way back at the end of the what was it issue 11 when omni man beat up mark and and mark was recovering from his injuries cecil actually that cecil used that opportunity to plant a weapon inside yeah. inside mark's head you know yeah. like in case mark ever went out of line yeah he could just push a button and yeah. totally disrupt his equilibrium and and you know mess him up really bad the way that yeah nothing we've ever seen has really been able to to hurt him yeah it feels like as as a reader i mean even though we are privy to knowledge of uh the things that cecil was doing behind the scenes in the previous years uh you know the little the little deals he was making i don't know about you drew but there was a part of me uh that as a reader was like oh maybe this isn't what i think it is there's a chance that kirkman might be setting it up to be something else but in this moment in this year uh in this particular story uh he he has a hard turn to to where he's gonna be you know Mm -hmm. like it's it's like when cecil decides to go bad he goes bad in a big in like a big way right like not only does it turn out that he's harboring criminals and using them but again like you said he implanted a weapon inside mark's brain (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah that that's not really something you do to build up trust with someone you're working with yeah yeah (laughs) it's it's a it's a pretty quick way to make an enemy out of probably the most powerful person in on on earth right now yeah so Mark ends up flying away to the Global Guardians, and this is news to them too. Like they're they're shocked that Cecil has done this to Mark. That you know, because Mark Mark is just helpless right now. He's just trying to get away from the range of the of the of the button. And when they see him, you know, going into convulsions because of it, and him getting chased by Cecil and these reanimen, they actually try and defend him and, and help him out. And, yeah, you know, it, Robot is able to uh, disengage the frequency that is causing Mark to go into these convulsions. Um, but, you know, at the end of it, they are able to all have a conversation. And Mark basically tells Cecil to stay out of his life and, and all this. And, yeah. and uh, Cecil tells him, you know, if you ever... If you ever try to get in my way, I will kill you, you know? Yeah. And it's, you know, it's, it's it's a pretty heavy way to 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 break, to end to that end relationship. relationship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's not just something that extends to him, because if you think about it, Cecil's, for a regular dude, or, you know, for a human, is... It's scary how much power he has because um, he not only has the ability to to 
go after Mark. Um, I mean, Mark can take care of himself, but really it's, it's the idea that he knows uh, who Invincible is under the mask. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he can go after... It, it's sort of cliche, but he really can go after his family, his brother and his mom, you know? Yeah. And it's it's not that this guy is like some cackling supervillain. This guy is a government agent with the might of the entire United States military at his back, you know? Yeah. That's a yeah. that's a crazy thought. Yeah, he he's he's got I mean, it's more than just the military because he's got mad scientists working for him. Yeah, yeah. And people with powers working for him. So yeah, it's it's a whole nother, it's a whole different tier from just having you know a five star general mad at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, I mean, yeah, like when you mentioned that, it it reminds me of one of the one of the scenes that jumps out at me uh, in this in this volume. Uh, in this in this year is um is it it's essentially the scene where Cecil finally makes the the revelation that this is this is the breaking point in their relationship so he has this special room that's an all white room and the thing about the room is I, I, like, I don't know what technology allows it to be this way, but when you step inside it, it looks like a white void. So it just, all you see are what he wants you to see, essentially. So uh, at the beginning of the scene, all you see is Cecil and Invincible in this white room, like this white empty space. But then, uh, you know, they're they're having this argument with each other and Cecil essentially says, you know, I, I gave you the chance to, like, calm down, but if you're not going to, like, why do you think I decided to, like, lead you into this white room? And suddenly, out of the whiteness, these figures start to appear, and it's just the army of Animen. And, you know, maybe one-on-one, uh, one of these Reanimen doesn't really stand too much of a chance against invincible but later on in the battle yeah when you have like hundreds of them exactly like, dude there are just hundreds of not more and all they have to do is just pile on you know mhm yeah which it was a pretty cool scene i thought that was like a great way to reveal his treachery yeah yeah it's it's interesting too because like throughout the series up to this point, we definitely have seen how far Cecil's power extends. Like he's able to convince the public um, of, you know, different false narratives and stuff, you know, like he can manipulate the media to create f- false narratives. Like this the stuff about uh, uh, Mark's father dying and, and in, in a car accident or, you know, something like that, where like realistically, You'd think that a reporter could easily, you know, fact check that, and and you know, it, it's it's not that easy to do something like that in in real life. But mm. with his level of influence, he can just, you know, snap his fingers and people yeah. will do his bidding and make some you know, calls, make some calls, create some fake news that 
everybody will buy into. And he's got this uh, teleportation device. I think in one of the earlier issues, uh, his one his one assistant dude. What was that dude's name? I f- Donald. I forget his name, but the guy who's one assist- a cyborg. Yeah, the cyborg dude, right? Yeah. What was his name? I I don't remember his name. Yeah. But but yeah. every time every time Cecil used the teleportation device, the guy was like, you know, that's costing like a million dollars every time you use it, right? And he's like, so what? <laughs> it's fun. We can afford it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. just so casual for him. Yeah. And, and like little things like that, where, um, from from one perspective, it can be kind of like it can be kind of charming, I guess, just to see that he's got it, it's almost like a lighthearted personality. Yeah. Where, where he's just abusing the teleportation device, but then I yeah. I guess now that we've seen more of his character, it kind of paints a sinister it's light scary on when it. you stop and really yeah. think about it. <laughs> it's like you using up a million dollars of taxpayer money just for something uh frivolous is nothing to him yeah like imagine how much he values life (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) right like if he's that like carefree about resources and he just wants to use it just because he uses he he wants to use it if you apply that logic to you know lives it's it's no longer that charming (laughs) yeah it really isn't and and the fact that he's willing to enlist, uh, you know, murderers like Sinclair and and Darkwing, that it you know it, it says a lot about his character where he's he's willing to to make a deal with the devil. Yeah. You know, and <laughs> that that's that's like the one thing that we all for some reason, man, it always comes up in almost every episode we talk about. Somebody makes a deal with the devil, and it's 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 just a bad idea. Don't do it. Yeah, I mean, but the interesting thing about this is, I, I granted, I don't know what Sinclair's arc is gonna be in the future, but if anything, it sort of feels like Sinclair is the one making the deal with the devil in this case. That is right? true too, man. That is true. You get, I mean. For all Sinclair's uh, genius, um, Cecil is the one that has the real he's power. He's the menacing one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. in their relationship, he's the menacing one. He's He would be the devil in this scenario. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it, it's one of those things that, that uh, I guess we see it a lot in, in different works of fiction, but it, it's the idea of how in order to be safe or secure you have to be willing to give up certain things and sometimes people say you have to be willing to give up certain freedoms in order to remain secure or safe and um in in this case you know that's part of it but it's also you have to be willing to give up a sense of morality basically you have to be willing to to work with murderers and people that experiment on live human beings and end up killing them just yep. to develop weapons and and for Cecil that's worth it because if that can if working with people like that means he can protect the country or even protect the planet then he's willing to do that hey drew mhm who's going to protect us <laughs> you <laughs> oh man star trek into darkness baby <laughs> 
one of the greatest lines from that movie. <laughs> Peter Those Weller, RoboCop himself. <laughs> you are a treasure, Peter Weller. Uh, but I know, I, if, would you want would you want your defender to work with murderers in order to protect you? I mean, I think the idealist in me wants to. Blo- I look. I. I I'll, I'll say this much. I, I think people contain multitudes and I think, you know, to, to presume that anyone can be any one thing all times is, is it's a, it's a tough standard to hold to a lot of people. So mm-hmm. I'd say that there, there are elements in all of us that want our heroes to be clean and that want our heroes to be uh, noble and to uphold ideals that are bigger that you know yeah that are bigger than uh bigger than us right Mm -hmm. but then practically speaking in real life uh i think more often than not we've seen that people are willing to make concessions and compromises uh to their morality if it means that the that it's in service to the protection of you know even a single life well i, well, I don't know about a single life but you know life you know just mm-hmm. whatever that vague number is whatever whatever your uh, cost benefit analysis allows you to to justify uh bending your moralities for you know so like if a hundred thousand people dying is too few but a hundred thousand and one is the line that <laughs> makes it okay then sure <laughs> <laughs> that one extra person was the thing that made the difference <laughs> you're saying that there are 999,000 people who would die if we let this madman go that's too small a number my friend <laughs> oh wait there's one ex- extra person in there they were in the bathroom okay <laughs> Then I'm willing to murder an entire civilization if it means that I can protect those hundred thousand people. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when you reduce life to an equation. <laughs> yeah, it's the the calculus of warfare of survival. <laughs> or survival. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my calculus is far simpler. My 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 formula is way simpler. There's only one life that matters. Mine. i would risk an entire country's worth of people if it meant that i would save my life (laughs) you would let the world burn if if it meant you could still survive if it meant that i had to line up every person in the country and push each one of them individually in front of a moving vehicle one at a time in order to save my life i would do it I would do it. <laughs> uh. Man, I, I I hope if if you ever get arrested for a crime, I hope the authorities don't use this podcast as evidence against your character. I would just be like, but officer, my formula. <laughs> Have you not seen it? <laughs> Uh, uh, what is best in life? My survival. 
No, man, no. What is best in life is to crush your enemies, to see them driven before you, and to hear the lamentation of their women. And hear the lamentation of their women. <laughs> if, if you can't bathe in the tears of your enemies, then what's the point of slaying them? Exactly. What's the point of living? Yeah. <laughs> you, you've got to bathe in the tears. Not, not just of your... Not the tears of your enemies, the tears of your enemies' women. <laughs> uh, yeah, yes, yes. There is nothing more empowering than that. <laughs> uh, gosh. But I do think it's interesting how, and maybe this is my personal uh, reading of the situation. So, you know, tell me if you feel different, Drew. But as the series progresses, because um, everything that happens with Cecil happens towards the beginning of the year in, mm -hmm. in their series, or, or, or at the beginning of the year in the series. And towards the end, they, they don't have this relationship with each other, but there's this weird dynamic where they still interact with each other. They still, like, towards the end, uh, Invincible still communicates with Cecil, Granted, it's begrudging, but it's it's still there, you know, this this uh, avenue of communication between the two. And I don't know, like, maybe, just maybe, I feel like since... I feel like Kirkman plays a lot with a lot of the existing dynamics that we've seen in previous stories, mm -hmm. and... He finds new ways to tweak it or subvert it towards uh, just new new drama, right? Yeah. Or, or just different things that we might not expect. And I have a, I don't know, just my reading of it, it feels like there's a way that they might be able to salvage the relationship if, you know, yeah, tell me if, if you feel different about the, about my about your reading of of the comic or of this year of their relationship yeah there's definitely a good possibility that you could see them working together again cuz the thing with Cecil is that he's so devoted to the protection of he's a pragmatist the he's a pragmatist He's so devoted to the protection of uh, the world that I think if it really came down to it and he had no other recourse, he would he would probably debase himself to get Mark's help mm. if it meant that would ensure the safety of the world. Mm. And I think if the world were truly being threatened and in really dire straits, I'm pretty sure Mark would begrudgingly work with Cecil also, you know? Mm, mm. I think the main thing is that right now, Mark has finally realized what kind of person he's working with, what yeah. kind of person Cecil is. He's seen the lengths that Cecil is willing to go, go to, and that's just not a line that Mark himself is willing to cross, which... Later on, if you think about it, um, with like the stuff that happens with Oliver, it's a yeah. pretty interesting theme because 
because it's almost like Mark takes this moral high ground, but Oliver reminds him that that Mark himself is, is a killer. Yeah. You know, maybe an inadvertent killer, but a killer nonetheless. And and yeah. he's someone that abhors and condemns murderers like D.A. Sinclair and Darkwing. And he he freaks out when, when Oliver kills the Mahler twins. Yeah. But he ended up turning Angstrom Levy into paste. You know? Yeah. Like he yeah. got mad, lost his temper, and just turned this guy into a puddle of liquid. Yeah. So it's like, how how does Mark have the gall to take the moral high ground when, you know, on some level, he's not any better than, than they are. He's He's a killer just like them. Yeah, I, I think that's some interesting uh, emotional drama that gets explored in the series, because it, it, he's he's that hero that always wants to do the right thing, you know. Like the it's like the whole Spider-Man concept where you have the the hero that you as the audience or the reader you root for him and and you can easily relate to him and. You see things from his point of view, but there's always like something that happens where you just feel bad for him and like wish that, you know, that one act of him killing Angstrom Levy accidentally, you, you just kind of wish that that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. And it, it's something that ends up, um, you know, becoming burdensome in some way. Yeah. It's it's. It's almost like, I mean, it's basically a stain on on this mm-hmm. character, right? If it weren't mm-hmm. for that one thing, you'd have this pretty convenient character that you can point to, that you can say, that you can look to to as almost this perfect individual, right? At least, well, if not perfect, at least someone who's not a killer, right? Yeah. Someone yeah. whose morals are consistent. Someone who, you know, says what they believe and does and what does they it. say. Yeah. You know? Exactly. But, exactly. But, yeah, Kirkman doesn't make Invincible this, uh, you know, in, in spite of Invincible's rhetoric and uh, what he's trying to instill in Oliver, uh, what, what how he's trying to teach this little kid how to become an idyllic hero at, at the end of it all. Uh, he, it's almost like he doesn't have the footing to stand on when Oliver just so easily points back in his face and says, you know, how can you judge me for being a killer? You, yeah, you, you totally butchered that other dude. Mm -hmm. So why was that? Okay. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and there isn't really a good answer to that. Yeah. I mean there's there's that scene where they're having that con So, yeah, you mentioned they they did an issue where one of the major developments in this year is Oliver's growing up and he's he looks like a kid, but you know, intellectually and physically his powers are quickly advancing and they might even outpace uh mark's power uh at some point Mm -hmm. but 
emotionally, I think it's fair to say he's still, well, there are scenes where he's kind of immature or maybe even super logical, but Mm -hmm. there's still something about that that's, I don't know if it's immature, but maybe it lacks empathy. (laughs) Definitely lacking empathy. Yeah. I suppose one could make the argument that he is alien, so humanity... morality is different. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, just that innate sense of being human doesn't really exist for him because he's not technically human. He's half Viltrumite, half uh, alien bug bug thing. Yeah, I forget (laughs) what they were called. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They look like mantis people or something. Yeah, yeah. Insects. Yeah. Um, So it, 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 yeah, it, it makes sense that he would have these inhuman kind of views because he's not technically human yeah but that's the thing that makes it i guess uneasy is the fact that this little kid with the power of superman basically uh like his one could argue like you said that his natural worldview is alien to ours right but Mm -hmm. It's it's alien in such a way that if there was a person who was born on this planet who had those that perspective. Oh yeah, that's a psychopath. Argue, yeah, exactly. That person <laughs> would be a psychopath, right? Wait, so, psychopath or sociopath? I forget the I don't difference. Know which, maybe sociopath. <laughs> um, but yeah, clearly. So so it's this other weird conflict that exists right it's 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 this whole thing of well he's not from here but so on on the one hand you might be able to argue that yeah like that's that's just the way that he looks at life because he's different right and different isn't bad well what happens when that sort of difference makes you a a sociopath right yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's not really something that I think anybody on the planet would want running around free, you know? Yeah, like I wouldn't want someone with that emotional uh, state to have that level of power, <laughs> Yeah, essentially. Yeah, a lot of bad things are going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um. I'm trying to look for the scene where they have that conversation and it's 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 a pretty stunning little moment but I uh are you talking about the scene where where Oliver s- says that people don't really matter? Yeah, I think so. I mean there's there like that whole entire interaction between the two of them it's it's really good stuff, you know? Like just it encapsulates the entire emotional conflict that exists in in just yeah. Oliver's existence. <laughs> yeah, I I, you know? I found the scene. It's like yeah, I found it too. There there are two good scenes actually. Like there's one scene right after he kills the Mahler twins and he's still covered in gore. Yeah, and Invincible and and 
Oliver are are flying in the sky and having this conversation and yep. and Invincible tells him we don't kill and yep. Oliver says you killed that other guy referring to Angstrom Levy. Yeah. And Invincible says that was an accident. And Oliver says this was an accident. Well, they just have this conversation where it you guess Mark points out that Oliver doesn't care that he's killed people whereas the difference with Mark is that Mark did care that he committed murder. Yeah. Well, let's clarify one thing though. That that one scene where go where you know, uh, invincible where where Mark and Oliver are having that argument, and Mark says that was an accident, and Oliver goes this was an accident. Like if you had jumped to the scene a few panels earlier where Oliver kills the Mahler twins. It didn't look like an accident. It was not an accident. <laughs> he he gleefully murdered those two, you know? Like, like, maybe the first one, you could argue that was an accident. Like, maybe he didn't know his own strength. Yeah. And he was yeah. just like, he got shocked he when he got hit. But he in the second one. And he one. just charged right at him. But yeah. after he, he basically flies into the guy and explodes out of him like a bullet. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, he's just... No, exactly. Yeah. And then, okay, that guy, maybe I could believe that that was an accident. But the second twin, that was yeah. on purpose. <laughs> yeah, like the way that they drew it, just from his facial expressions, it felt like it was a kid who just found a new toy or realized just the level of power that he had. And he lost his temper. And after killing the first guy and realizing what it felt like, to just let loose he wanted to do it again and, yeah you know he he was reveling in the power that he just realized he had you Even know when he kills the second Mahler twin he just gives the dude an uppercut to the head and and is like his brains split in half and fly out of his head yeah and as well as the body is just standing there squirting out blood oliver is looking at it and he says wow yeah <laughs> Like, well, but that's that's not, that's not the reaction that you would have if you accidentally <laughs> killed somebody. Yeah. Well, and the thing he is, he was admiring his work. Yeah, and the thing is, the immortal he sees Oliver in that moment. He like he was out cold, and he sees what Oliver just did, and Oliver's response is to say, "What? It was an accident." And that's that's the troubling part, right? I mean, okay. The murdering was troubling. <laughs> In addition to that, the other signs, the other red flag is the fact that by saying that to the one witness who saw him just pulverize this other guy, like his response shows that he understood that what he did was bad. And, and you know, what he chose to do in that moment was to feign to pretend that he understood that it was bad and yeah. to pretend that it was an accident you know yeah which is you know serial killer 101 it's like <laughs> that's like basic serial killer right there right yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's the ability to understand uh when something is wrong but not to empathize or to feel that what you did was wrong Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, it's it's understanding the laws. It's understanding that killing is bad, but 
it's the fact that he didn't care. It's like you said with with him and Mark, right? The difference between the two being that Mark cared that he, in a, in a moment of rage, he ended up killing someone. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I yeah, that conversation that they have right after that scene when they're in the sky and Oliver's still covered in gore, that that was a a really meaningful scene for yeah the series so far i think because because mark is mark's i'm just gonna read the dialogue man because it, it's i think it's, it's really great. well done yeah it's probably the best stuff from this this year i think but or like the best dialogue from this year but go yeah ahead. the mark says the main problem i'm having here the thing that worries me about this is that you don't seem to care that you've killed them and oliver he just his expression is like somebody who's yelling in, in rage, but he's like, why should I? How many times have you fought these guys now? How many people have they killed since the first time you fought? What you do is illogical. The logical thing to do would be to stop these guys permanently. That's what makes sense to me. And Mark says, there are laws and rules, and, well, we can't just take that kind of responsibility for someone's life, for anyone's life. We're not infallible. What if we're wrong and someone we kill is innocent, what then? Human life is a precious thing. And Oliver immediately replies, no, it's not. <laughs> like, what kind of response is that? It's like, yeah, and dude, the panel after not... that... And then Mark is just like... shocked. He's like, what? He's not expecting that. Yeah. And then, and then Oliver's like, precious. Human life isn't precious. Not in general. Not everyone. People risk their lives every day. They kill each other. If they don't think their lives are important, why should I? Most of them are utterly insignificant. And Mark says, you sound like dad. So? Why is that bad? Was he so wrong? Did nothing he said make sense to you, even on a small level? Have you ever thought that maybe our father was right? And then there's this big scene where Mark is thinking, and he's, he just kind of whispers sometimes. And that's how the issue ends. I always thought that was a really good ending for the issue. It's a great ending. It's a it's, yeah, it's, it's a powerful a ending. Yeah, it, it, it's the kind of ending that really makes me think of The Walking Dead because The Walking Dead, like Kirkman and and Adlard on that comic, they would always have these issues end with with these heavy emotional moments where it was just characters having an ethical or a moral quandary, and they're they're having this heavy conversation, and it just ends like with a with a simple statement like that, you know, like. Yeah, it's it ends on an emotional cliffhanger, not not a cliffhanger where the hero gets thrown out of a building or something, you know? Yeah, like they that, just that's leave the kind of hanging in there. Yeah, exactly. Like that's it, tension, man. Yeah, this is real tension, and and that's the kind of that's the good kind of stuff that Kirkman does in not only The Walking Dead but in Invincible when he's at his well. best. Yeah, that's exactly. The stuff that he does best. It's, it's exactly the kind of stuff that makes you want to keep on reading more and more. Yeah. Yeah, I will say that uh, when I was reading these uh, for the podcast, that that first chunk was was probably the most compelling stuff. That was the stuff that the Oliver stuff was the stuff that where I was like, man, I I don't want to stop. I, I wanted to keep keep reading after that, you know? Yeah, yeah. You just want to find out how does their happen? story end? Yeah, exactly. Like, is he yeah. gonna turn? full heel or is he gonna be redeemed or, yeah. or like is he gonna is mark gonna be able to get through to him yeah. you know it's like 
it could go any way, man, because he's he's still a kid, so it's it's not like he can't learn and grow, but yeah, he's also an alien, so you just don't know, man. There's no way to to predict uh, how he might react to things, and yeah, if if he ends up going full sociopath and treating human life as insignificant, then what's gonna happen if if Mark has to try and stop him? You know, because like it doesn't seem like anybody else can. Yeah. Like it doesn't seem like the immortal can stop him. Yeah. Like exactly. Like they've already mentioned that the that Oliver's powers are just growing exponentially with every passing day. And yeah, it, it's going to be a tough question because it's not even a matter of how powerful he is. At the end of the day, Oliver's his brother, you know. That's drama right there. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like uh that's you know, that's biblical stuff. Brother versus brother, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, speaking of which, the next issue following that is... We we do continue to see Mark wrestling with the realization that Oliver is, is becoming problematic to him, you know? Um, you know, so the we, we follow the issue as... He talks to his his new girlfriend Adam Eve about it, and uh, you know he he goes about living his life. And then towards the end of that issue, uh, there's finally this conversation between uh, Mark and Oliver, and you know it it feels like it's a moment of reconciliation between the two. They even like hug. Uh, mm-hmm. w- like here, here. This is what uh, Oliver has to say. You know, after they've had a chance to sit on everything that's happened and process it. Yeah, I'm sorry. I did that because I was angry. It was irrational and unproductive. The truth is, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, and I'm inclined to agree with you. You and I have very different backgrounds, very different experiences, and mine have been gathered in such a brief span of time they're easily skewed. If you're willing to give these people a chance. If you care about them that much, maybe I'm wrong. And, you know, that that sounds good. They hug. They hug it out. And, you know, we think that that's, <laughs> that's a good little moment. Like, he's learned his lesson. Uh, the more he knows, and then a star flies by, right? Um, <laughs> but then in the following page, right after they hug, you just get this one panel where you see a close-up of Oliver's face and... He just, he's resentful. Yeah. You know? yeah. He is just salty about this. You can, so, you can tell that he was just saying what he what he knew Mark wanted him to say. Exactly. So it it's it's a heck of a note to end on because it just, it, it makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand on end because I'm just like, oh man, what direction is this going to go? Yeah, this isn't over. Yeah. They have, they have not resolved yeah his issues yeah he did not learn a lesson <laughs> he did not learn a lesson <laughs> well maybe okay maybe you could argue that the lesson that he did learn was how to lie to his brother <laughs> <laughs> yeah do you think albert do you think that superheroes should kill um I don't want to live in a universe where the heroes that have that level of power kill. <laughs> like that's 
I don't think that that brings me any sense of security. You know, if I lived in a world where Superman, with all his power, decided to take it upon himself to be judge, jury, and executioner, and just went around, you know, executing people, like, what's the point of the government? What's the point of society? <laughs> right, you know? right. Well, what about, I don't know. I, well, I guess it's, let me, it's like. Let, let me add this one other extra point which I feel like I needs to be said, mm-hmm. which is mm-hmm. the point of a society is that we all buy into it, right? Like uh, we don't live in uh, utter chaos because we all agree to the social contract. We all buy into it. Uh, so when we're not happy with things, there are established rules and norms that exist that we all abide by. Sometimes it works in our favor, and sometimes you get dinged for it, but it's it's the best possible system for to to avoid chaos, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. you know, we all form militias, we all murder each other, and you know, might makes right. And I don't want to live in that society. And the thing about Superman having the level of power that he has, and choosing to submit to the authority of a society like the government shows that even he is willing to coexist in society, right? And that mm-hmm. brings me infinitely more comfort than the idea that, well, he has the power to do what he wants, therefore he should do it because today it works for me. Today it protects me. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's my long answer to to your question what were you gonna say i'm sorry so so you you wouldn't want to live in a society where the authority you know started to kill anyone they thought needed to be killed and ended up you know putting jack hawksmore as president because (laughs) they aren't the government i mean i think that speaks for itself don't you (laughs) (laughs) like once you took that story once you took that plot line to its natural conclusion it's 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 not a good place to be, right? <laughs> what happens when, you know, the next uh, power brokers show up and they decide that they want to run things their way and they have the, you know, the might to do it? Mm. Do we just all submit to that just because? That's terrible. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, but if you don't have the power to fight a guy that can turn any city into a living entity that can fight... Then, then it's I my suppose, fault. Yeah. <laughs> it's your fault for not being strong enough. It's your fault for being weak. <laughs> it's, it's your fault for not being able to to punch the embodiment of the 21st century <laughs> in the face. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think... I think that that part of this conversation that we just had struck a nerve with me because... So often in in modern uh, comics, if not uh, pop culture, like I do feel like there are a lot of people who who look to something like let let's say the Snyder Cut, for example, right? Yeah. And they look at Superman and they go, oh, you know, there's there's something wrong with the MCU because you know the the heroes spend too much time 
pontificating about ideals and uh, having these moral dilemmas when when what I want is men of action. What I want is, uh, you know, the Snyder Cut, which is there's a bad guy and I want us to just show our might, be able to flex our muscles and like really beat these people up because that's what heroism is to me, right? Yeah, like Man of Steel. Superman yeah. is just going to break that dude's neck. Yeah, it's all just... It's it's very masturbatory. It's it's there's a problem and the solution is just overt force to to overcome it. And there's a satisfaction in that that I understand, right? But mm-hmm. I don't think it makes for the best kind of people, you know? Like it's not the kind of idealism that you should it, they're not the kind of ideals that you should live up to in like deciding how to be a person right right right. because because that logic has its limits again right like if you okay you can be a tall powerful person right and you might be able to tell yourself i'm gonna take it upon myself to make the world submit to what i want to do and be what i want it to be and because i have the might to make it right that's that's all i need right there's yeah there's something I guess admirable about that, but you know what happens when the next guy shows up? Like, are we just constantly gonna be living in this state of flux where we're just waiting for the next guy to beat up the guy that just happens to be in charge? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. There's an insanity to that like way of thinking and living. Totally. Yeah, it's it would it it's this. It feels weird to to think that there are people that think someone like Superman should kill, and yeah. and I, I do think that there are gonna there are a lot of great stories where superheroes do kill. Yeah, because I think being able to tell a story from you know different angles. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there there's a lot of. Uh, I'm not limiting myself just because I personally hold a set of ideals that I like live by. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like there, there are a lot of great angles on superhero stories that 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 take the point of view that the heroes in this world kill, or um, you know, and just as just as valid as that is, there are a lot of superhero stories that are great stories where the heroes do not kill absolutely yeah. under any circumstance. Yeah. But yeah, when when you when you start thinking about it from the perspective of how we consume our fiction, there there is something kind of disturbing to to know that a lot of people are rooting for superheroes to kill bad guys or whatever, you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It it kind of speaks to, I suppose, like the the violent inclinations of people in general, or maybe maybe the immaturity of 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 people who think, oh, it's cool, or or yeah. you know that. That's the only way that it should be, you know. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, I get it. Sometimes you just see on the news, like there's a there's a crime that's so heinous that you know that the guy who did it doesn't deserve to live. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, do I really want to be the guy that kills that guy? Yeah, exactly. Like, 
I, I would even expand upon that and say, do I want to live in a society where, like, we take it upon ourselves to meet out that level of, like, perceived justice, right? Like, I don't even want to call it justice because at that point it's just Vengeance. revenge, right? Mm -hmm. Or So, it, you know, again, we're, we're sidestepping uh, existing laws because it's personally satisfying to us to see someone, you know, maim and torture another killer. But mm -hmm. it's just, it's not a workable solution for a society. It really isn't. You know? Yeah, 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 and and <clears throat> I think when it comes to superheroes, superhero comics, yeah, the 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 interesting thing is when you see when you see those comics um, carefully examine the issue of whether superheroes should kill or not, because then you end up with stuff like the Authority, and you see some really interesting storytelling mm -hmm. um, come out from from there. Like that, yeah. that story uh, that I was describing from the Brew Baker and Dustin Nguyen uh, authority run, I thought I thought that was always an interesting story because it 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 did take the authority to their natural conclusion basically you know from where Warren Ellis and Brian Hitch Started. introduced them yeah and and then Mark Miller and Frank Quitely took them you know they 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 started off as this kind of a an analog of the Justice League. But probably, you know, individually more powerful than all of the members, uh, comparatively speaking. There were almost every member of the authority is basically um, a weapon of mass destruction, and they had nobody telling them that they couldn't do something. Or I mean, even if the government told them not to do something or not to interfere in a situation, they don't care because no government can stop them anyway. So they just do what yeah. they do and. And it gets to the point where where they end up taking over uh, America because the, yeah they, there's nobody out there that can tell them that they can't yeah and and they're just executing everybody that's you know a a bad guy or a villain or a criminal yeah and it, it gets to the point where they they end up just killing everybody that they don't like you know yeah that yeah. that's that's what it ends up coming down to yeah. And, and that's that's a pretty uh, grim place to to be. It, it's it's definitely fascinating storytelling when, yeah. when it's done well. But but I'd probably say if, if if every superhero comic was about superheroes killing, let alone extolling the benefits of superheroes killing all their enemies, then that would be a pretty disheartening reflection of all the people that create and consume the yeah. stories and i feel it's worth mentioning and clarifying that i don't think that everybody who enjoys the snyder cut or that sort of thing like is necessarily this type of person who's you know very aggressively alpha and like <laughs> necessarily believes uh that violence is the only solution like i understand yeah you mentioned the authority for example it's it's a it's a comic about superheroes that want to take a proactive stance on on supervillainy and 
that includes killing them. So, like, I do enjoy those comics and those kinds of stories, too. And... Yeah, you know, when they're I, done well. If, yeah, if they were all done as well as the authority, I'd be all about them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people who understand the nuance of those two things. So, like, I, like, of the ability to be able to enjoy a story about that, but not, and still be able to separate that from, like, reality. So, like, I'm not saying that everybody who watches the Snyder Cut necessarily adheres to the logic that you know might makes right and that's the only thing that counts at the end of the day but i will say there are probably a lot more of those people than i'm comfortable with <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah i wouldn't be surprised by that either yeah it yeah it's i think there are a lot of people that would enjoy that that enjoy the Snyder cut and Man of Steel and those those kind of things not necessarily because they think it's cool that Superman kills but it could just be that they don't really they're not as invested or as interested in superhero fiction the same way that we are like they don't they may not necessarily think about superhero fiction as they don't often. enjoy the moral dilemma <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more it, for, for a lot of people. I think it could just be about the action, right? Like they they don't yeah. really think so should Superman kill or not kill or whatever. Whereas yeah, you and I being longtime superhero fans, those are the kind of things that we enjoy uh, yeah. discussing and and pondering and examining. Those are the kind of drama that that's the kind of drama that like the MCU excels at, right? Like mm -hmm. all those moral dilemmas and conversations and uh yeah just that sort of thing um yeah i mean even like when you think about the mcu i think of avengers age of ultron and the whole thing about iron man creating ultron because he it all started with him wanting to protect earth from an alien threat that he wasn't completely he didn't really know much about so he wanted to create an armor for the planet basically yeah but now you know that was something where it's like what happens when that thinking takes you down a wrong road yeah right? yeah it's like for for all of his genius how could he not see that going down a, a bad way you know like yeah ha, like he might be a super smart scientific genius but he must not have read any science fiction <laughs> books man because he doesn't understand crap about this people yeah. <laughs> about society yeah exactly <laughs> like dude why would you do that yeah <laughs> like, why, why would you why would you create an ai that that potentially has the power to to you know cause why would you massive entrust all this power Earth? to 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 a machine that's just outside that work that would act independently of your control yeah. <laughs> did you not watch the terminator <laughs> <laughs> yeah he somebody should have watched, shown him showed him the terminator back when he was uh before he, before he did anything if he had known peter parker in avengers 2 peter parker probably would have shown him the terminator yeah and he could have educated him on that yeah 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 that's true man because 
Iron like, Man. Hey, Tony Stark never he never even Star watched Wars? Alien. Yeah. <laughs> he he exactly. didn't know about the trick, man. He didn't know about shooting the rocket to to send the enemy into the vacuum. Yep. Anybody See? who watched Alien would have known that. Peter Parker was his lifeline to popular culture. He would have yeah. taught him about Terminator. He could have taught him about Terminator. And we, and we would have avoided Avengers 2. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like our version of the MCU. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what were some of the other big plot lines or story threads that stood out to you in, in uh, this group of Invincible issues? Uh... I'm looking at the following trade after that. Uh, like we, I, I guess the more human uh, story continues to follow. Oh, it, it continues to follow Mark and Adam Eve uh, or Invincible and Adam Eve's relationship with each other. And, uh, you know, they there, there are some ominous signs because you think we're in this place where Oh, uh, Mark slash Invincible can share all parts of his life with Adam Eve because she's a superhero too, right? Mm -hmm. But now more than ever, he's constantly being taken away to work on different things. And we even see that there are limits to her levels of understanding and, you know, compassion for him mm -hmm. or, or uh, t compassion towards his circumstances like i guess that's that's the other big conflict right because they're superheroes but <laughs> this is gonna sound corny but she's still a flesh and blood woman drew she has needs what kind of needs sexual <laughs> <laughs> you set him up i knock him down I just went for the juggler on that one. I, I didn't want to dance around it. I didn't want to tease uh, the idea of what 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 her needs could be. I just I just went for it. Yeah, you 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 went for it and you got it. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> um, but I will say there was one uh one thing that did happen uh that it was a really not really. Uh, it was a minor-ish uh, incident that occurred, but like relative to everything else in their life. But I don't know. It, it left me feeling rather uneasy. And what it was was that Mark at one point gets a call from his ex-girlfriend, Amber. Yes. And he goes to, to Amber. And it's a big secret at first. And, you know, we just see them in her bedroom and they're conversing with each other. And, you know, she's talking about everything that's happened in recent, uh, to, that everything that's happened to her recently. And then suddenly you see her face and she's like totally beaten up. This new guy that she ended up with, um, you know, we, we mentioned in the previous episode that ultimately mark decides to i guess for the better lack of a word to let amber go because his superhero life is not allowing her to 
to have a relationship with him, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So he decides, or you know, they mutually decide that she should per, uh, pursue other people and try to have a normal life, you know, try to have normal relationships. And this is the first time we see her since that breakup. And it turns out that the guy that she ends up, you know, being with after Mark is a total sack of crap. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And so Mark goes over there and he he basically threatens this guy. He puts the fear of God into him, man. Yeah. He, you know, he, he I, I forget... I want to say he he actually says if you ever hit her again I'll kill you. He says that. Yeah. He says exactly that I will kill you. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you know for for all of us we think that's just kind of it, right? We we assume that you know if if a superhero came to me and said, you know, he he'd kill me if I ever did anything again, I would do nothing. I would literally do nothing again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you you would you would die of starvation because you wouldn't eat. Yeah. Either I don't that want or, to have my or your bowels crushed. would explode because you wouldn't <laughs> use the bathroom. Right. But so that's kind of the end of it. And but the thing that like that whole thing left me feeling uneasy. But in addition to that, Mark goes back to Amber and he tells her what he did. And he, he basically says, uh, you know, I I talked you know, quote unquote, talk to him. And Amber, Amber's decision is to remain with this guy. And Mark just says, are you sure this is what you want to do? And he just leaves it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, and I'm not okay with that. That sounds like a bad idea. It sounds like a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, like that's, it's, it's only a couple of pages from what I remember, but it, it's ominous. It's super ominous. And yeah, I mean, he Mark does tell Eve. He admits that he uh, wanted to kill Amber's boyfriend. Yeah. And he, you know, he tells her that he was worried about his own temper. Yeah. But I, I think for me, the, the thing that that kind of took me aback was, first of all, when Mark was with Amber in the morning when he got the call, I mean, when he was with Eve in the morning when he got the call from Amber, he didn't tell her right away that he was going to see Amber. Yeah, yeah. Like, like thankfully, he told her when he got back. Yeah. But to me, it just feels like, why would you hide that fact in the first place, you know? Like, he yeah, he really didn't want to tell her that he was going to see his ex-girlfriend yeah. in the beginning. So like that that was the first thing that that kind of concerned me and then and then the the second thing was what you were saying earlier about how Amber decides to stay with this guy like that never ends well Yeah <laughs> like yeah, I, I it, like <laughs> it almost makes me wonder like cuz I I it's been so long since I've read these issues I can't remember what ends up happening with her Yeah but so, like, to me, I'm, like, reading it almost as a first-time reader, but I, it, it makes me wonder if if Kirkman, I don't know, was what was he thinking during this scene? Because it, it's, 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 it's kind of, like, if he doesn't give this a proper resolution, it, it, it just seems like a really bizarre yeah. storytelling choice. Like, almost, yeah. almost a little cringy. Like, 
it's it's saying it's almost like it's tone deaf <laughs> yeah kind of tone yeah. deaf in, in the sense of like showing that hey if if your if your man beats you gives you a black guy you know it was just an accident you can forgive him and, and get yeah. back with him he he and, had and, one moment of anger it'll never happen again <laughs> yeah yeah like she's super she's super amber is super uh upbeat about it and and hopeful that things will work yeah. out and and mark kind of just like let's it let's it go at that and he's like okay if you make your choice go for it fine and well i'm like yeah. is that really what what he would do i don't know about that i mean i have a feeling that so i th- you know i i've never read this far into invincible so this is definitely new to me and uh like if i had to say i do think that he's setting something up and yeah yeah it's it's just like you know watching a movie and you know when the kids go into the cabin in the woods you're just like don't do it <laughs> you know yeah exactly this is gonna exactly. end badly <laughs> um yeah it's here's the like okay it made me think of this scene from Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. and it's it's a scene where uh, I forgot the guy's name, uh, Ermin Trout. His last name is Ermin Trout. Uh, Mike. His name is Mike, and uh, he's he's having a conversation with Walter White in in the series, and they're in a bar, and he's trying to basically communicate uh, his philosophy on life, and he talks about how. He doesn't believe in half measures, right? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I used to be a cop, and I remember this one time that I drove out to this uh, to this house where, where there was a domestic disturbance between a man and a wife. And he would beat her up, and uh, we, would, we would come out there, we would stop it, and then we'd leave. And we just kept coming out there over and over again. He would beat her up. We'd come out there, and then we'd leave. And this one time, he just messes her up super badly. So we decide to take this guy. We drive him out into a field, and we tell him, we're going to kill you right here and right now, right? Mm -hmm. And the guy begs and pleads for his life, and he says he's never going to do it again. So we take him on his word, and we say, okay, we'll let you live as long as you never do it again. We we believe that he's never going to do it again. The next call that they get, it turns out that the guy kills her mm. because this time he doesn't want to get caught. He doesn't want to deal with the cops. He doesn't want them to come back to kill him. Yeah. And in that moment, that's when he decided that, you know, it, that no... No longer would he ever, he would no longer commit to anything with half measures was, was his point. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it just, it's just one of these things where in, in this moment, like Mark Invincible, you know, got to her boyfriend, intimidated him, and he thinks that that's okay, but it's totally a half measure, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's it's not a real resolution for whatever is going on there, and that's yeah, that's why watching that or reading that, I was just like, oh man, this uh, I don't have confidence that this ends well. Yeah, 
So you, so you think Mark should have killed him? <laughs> no, I don't think he should have killed him. <laughs> he could have turned him into a red smear. <laughs> you could have gone. You could have gotten his brother to kill him. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think he should have killed him, but I don't think that uh, the solution was to let Amber like go back to him. I certainly don't think that that was uh, a good idea. Yeah. You know? Hey, I was reading uh, the, the extras in my hardcover, and there was a, kind of a funny story uh, about the cover to that issue, issue 56, where where he uh, where all this happens. Cause yeah. The cover of issue 56 shows Invincible holding the dude uh, by the ankle, you know, dangling him over a rooftop. Uh-huh. But the funny thing is, is that apparently when when Kirkman told Otley to to what to draw for the cover, Otley for, got the names mixed up, and he thought Invincible was gonna dangle uh, Debbie's boyfriend off a roof. <laughs> 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 so if you look closely at the cover, it's not Gary. It it looks more like the older guy, and that's why they ended up covering his face in heavy shadows. That's uh, that's funny. And that's why he's wearing a suit because oh, man. because Otley was also like, yeah, I guess he doesn't look like a like a college kid because why is he wearing a suit? <laughs> uh, that's too funny. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Like, in, I I will say that did stick out in a weird way because once he drops him off. The dude was 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 in a suit, which was a weird choice. But I was just yeah. like, I guess I guess he had an interview. Yeah. <laughs> College student, man. Yeah. <laughs> Too funny. Were there other plot lines that jumped out at you, Drew? This was this isn't a plot line really, but um, it feels weird because we haven't mentioned it at all. But Invincible. Got a new costume. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it goes hand in hand with the. I, I guess it's a pretty big shift in status quo. No longer working with Cecil and mm-hmm. giving up his government perks and the protection of the government to 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 superhero on his own, essentially. Uh, and you know, it, thematically, it makes sense for him to get a new costume. Just to symbolize the the massive change in direction in his life. Yeah, yeah. It's it's also kind of their way of doing the you know the typical superhero trope where the hero gets a new look. You know, Spider Man yeah. got the black costume. Now Invincible has his black and yeah. blue costume. Yeah. It's a. It's not a bad look, but I definitely still think his original costume is way better. Yeah, agreed. But I mean, it's kind of cool just for a change. Yeah. I was going to say, that it, it does feel like every superhero has an era where they kind of go dark. And I don't think this is any different because his costume is literally just blue and black, you know? Yeah. And yeah, his his eyepieces are black. Yeah. 
and thematically speaking, if this is, you know, the era in his life where he he strikes out on his own, you know, becomes a rebel or whatever, uh, I guess you could make the argument that it, you could make the argument that it makes sense for them to have a tonal shift in the costume. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Speaking of costumes, I thought Oliver's kid Omni-Man costume, it, it makes me think of the Incredibles. Did you get that vibe? Uh, yeah, I guess I could see it. Isn't it I the mean, same color? The orange, the orange and the yellow, uh, and the black. Well, yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess so. Um, Personally, I I don't know. I've I felt like Kid Omni Man's costume was a little lacking. I, I kind of wish it had less black. Now that mm-hmm. I'm looking at it, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. more going on. Uh, I mean, he's basically just Robin. He's got one of those uh, domino uh, masks. Domino masks, exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of other. Uh... Plot points that drew my attention. Uh, well, there was an, the Standing Wolfman crossover, so that was kind of like a bigger storyline, being at least two issues worth. Uh, I don't know. That, I thought that was fine. It didn't. It didn't make me want to read any Astounding Wolfman or anything. Like I, I felt like I got yeah. invincible side of the story, and that was plenty for me. The drama of it was a little. Uh... It was a little melodramatic, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I he killed my wife, and my daughter just happened to see me as I was crying <laughs> over her. <laughs> but and she now my thinks daughter that thinks I I'm killed her. <laughs> oh, tragedy! <laughs> oh, me! <laughs> oh, dark fates! <laughs> Another thing that I thought was interesting was how after the whole fallout happened with uh mark and cecil and and the guardians of the globe were witnesses to everything that happened half the team split off and and left cecil's employee so you got bulletproof rexplode robot and monster girl they they went off on their own because they're they're no longer working with cecil after they've learned what kind of person he is and I yeah. thought that was pretty interesting too, because it's like I wouldn't have expected like Robot being this, you know, he's this logical kind of person. I wouldn't have expected him to to care so much about Mark, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Or even even like Rex Splode, like there are scenes in here where he's pretty friendly towards Mark, and even Mark is like, "When did you become such a good person?" You know, <laughs> like yeah, he used to be a jerk. Yeah. And then I, you know what I thought, dude? It made me think, you know how. Rex Flood got shot in the head last year. <laughs> he got brain damage. Yeah. All of a sudden, he's a he's a nice guy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the other thing, I, I to piggyback on that thought, I will say that um, there there are a couple of scenes with Rex Flood and Duplicate in in this year's comic where they both talk a lot more mm-hmm. and. When you compare it to what you saw of them in, like, the really early years of Invincible, like, they were just basically stock characters that existed in the background that didn't really have too much to say mm-hmm. or do. Like, Rex 
Rexplode was just there to be Adam Eve's boyfriend and yeah. to cheat on her, essentially, you yeah. know? And, like, you really feel like, at least in this year, Rexplode and Duplicate are talking more. Definitely Duplicate, because I don't think she even had any lines until last year, you yeah, know? Yeah, their, their personalities have become more and more distinct over time. Yeah, certainly. So, it was cool to see Rexplode go from being a douche to a semi-decent guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he even, like, talks to Mark and, and tells him to be careful because when the team was out on patrol, they ended up fighting one of Mark's enemies, and he's, like, just warning him, you probably have a lot of people that hate you now, so you just got to be more careful. And the funny thing is is that it, it sounds like the team beat up the, the elephant <laughs> And yeah. he was talking, he was telling Mark about it, and Mark was like, huh, who's the elephant? I barely I don't remember. even know who that is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But apparently this guy, the elephant, was just ranting and raving about how much he hates Invincible. <laughs> and there's something comical about a guy who hates the hero that much, but the hero barely remembers him. Yeah, yeah. But the other thing is like, dude, how can you not remember Elephant? The dude dresses like an elephant. He's got a cool look, man. I like him. <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty comical, man. Yeah. It makes me laugh. The other thing that uh really stood out in the last couple issues of this run of of uh the, this batch of issues was like how number 58 like the whole issue was just a bunch of short scenes that set up future plots. Like that was it felt like we hadn't had an issue like that in a while. Like, there's just a whole bunch of scenes where, where technically, I guess you might say nothing happens because there's not much action, but it, it feels like there's a lot of character bits, a lot of uh, panels per page where they're just having uh, dialogue and, and a little character development and just putting putting plots into place or putting setting up some chess pieces for the future, you know? Yeah, you get things like um, Invincible now is basically running a company, and that's <laughs> where his new income comes from. Um, you see a little bit about Duplicate and the Immortal, their new life. Uh, there's an update there's, on Monster Girl. Yeah. There's a random one-page uh, for... That fish dude. Yeah, I don't even know his name. I forgot his name. It's it's just a it's it's funny, man. It's like him sitting in his kingdom being bored yeah. because nothing is going on underwater. Well, but knowing what I know of Kirkman and the way that he's done this series, I I do think that that's that in and it of itself is. It's a good uh, reminder to us that he exists. Well, I have a feeling that he might show up. Well, yeah, he might show up at some point later in the series because. Kirkman has a tendency to introduce these little seemingly throwaway scenes that eventually come back. Maybe yeah. not in the most significant way, but they come back in a surprising way, you know? Like like that first issue when Mark was taking out the trash and he throws that garbage bag up into the sky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and, and the big revelation at the end of issue 58 is that Angstrom Levy is still alive, and not not only is he still alive, but he has 
what seems like an army of alternate invincibles at his command. Yeah. They all look pretty disgruntled. Well, not all of them, but most of them. <laughs> the funny thing is is that in the extras of the hardcover, there's a, yeah. a page where Otley sh- shows what he originally drew some of the, the characters like, or some of the invincibles like. And he, he was really going for some over-the-top stuff. Like, um, he gave one dude a backwards baseball cap. <laughs> he gave another <laughs> dude... He straight up gave another dude a Shatterstar helmet and swords, man. <laughs> and, like, I guess Kirkman told him to tone it down because it was too silly. <laughs> I wish they had done that. That would have been pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So de- definitely looking forward to what Angstrom Levy's revenge is going to be like. Yeah. And I, I guess... I do wonder how he survived that, but hey, it's yeah, comics. Yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. You, it makes you... Wonder how he survived being turned into liquid paste. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and the the final issue of this batch I thought was another really outstanding. That was issue. A good. That was yeah. a really good issue too, actually. Yeah, unlike the unlike issue fifty eight, issue fifty nine was like one long story about one new villain. You know, it was completely devoted to this guy's story, Powerplex, yeah. and his his story was messed up too, man, and. It, it's it's got some really good emotional ramifications for Mark because it it shows you that that fight way back early in the series when he fought his dad like there were consequences yeah people died yeah tons of yeah. people died including people with grudges and and th- these are this happened you know a bunch of issues ago and it, there are still ramifications that are yet to play out so it's, yeah. it's pretty interesting long form storytelling. I will say that when I read that, it kind of reminded me of uh, it reminded me of an episode of Batman the Animated Series. You know, which one? Uh, any of them really? Because <laughs> oh, okay, you just meant in spirit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because the issue has a formula of sorts, or it, it adheres to a similar formula to the Batman the Animated Series, which was you have a villain who's got a, you know who's got a human reason for why he wants to be a villain yeah i mean it's and, it's a tragic backstory yeah his exactly died in a battle because yeah. invincible was fighting his dad yeah but then you know his turn to villainy uh ultimately leads to him doing something that costs him severely Horrible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, pretty much like that Batman the Animated Series formula, or you know, as far as I can tell. Yeah, he ends up, he ends up completely toasting his wife and young child. Exactly. <laughs> so that's enough to drive anyone mad. And yeah. He holds he holds Invincible responsible for that too. Yeah. He holds extra revenge for Invincible. Yeah. You know? and, and even at the end, there's that scene when the dude is in in prison, and Invincible goes to see him, and the dude basically tells him, "If I once I get out, and you can better believe that I will get out, I'm gonna kill you." Yeah. You know, yeah. and and it 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 ends on this uneasy note. Like there's yeah. there's definitely a conclusion to that issue's story, but it leaves you with a sense of uneasiness, and and that's yeah. some. That's good storytelling, man, because yeah. it, it keeps you thinking about the story after you're done reading it. 
Yeah. It's a good way to create a villain, too, you know, or a new character. Yeah. 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 I dig that, man. That's yeah. some good stuff. The other story point that uh, they did go back to was Alan the Alien and uh, Invincible's dad, Omni-Man. That's right. Uh, That's right. The last time we see them, they're in this... They're being held in prison by the Viltrumites, and Alan the Alien purposely allowed himself to get captured so that he could find um, Omni-Man and, you know, try to release him and, again, uh, use him to join with the Coalition to overthrow or to defend against the Viltrumites as a whole. Mm -hmm. And so... There's there's a little bit of development there between their personal relationship because over the course of the issue they basically become friends you know through their conver- uh, through their telepathic telepathetic telepathic communications <laughs> with one another they they develop a friendship with each other and then there's finally the moment where uh, Omni Man is about to get executed but. That's that's the moment they decide to make their break and they escape. Mm-hmm. And yeah, with Battle Beast. With Battle Beast. <laughs> <laughs> Another Battle Beast guy. appearance. But the the other thing that is a, a decently big revelation that we learn is there are only forty eight pure I think he said forty eight. Fifty eight maybe? Fifty eight. Fifty. Oh, maybe fifty. Fifty pure blooded Viltrumites in existence. Yeah. You know? And so the the impli- or not implication. Actually, but- actually I just found the exact panel and he says there are less than fifty pure blooded Viltrumites left alive in the whole universe. Oh. Yeah. See? Less than fifty, yeah. Which is a really little you know, a really low manageable number. And uh you know, they that's they Omni Man says, like, we can defend against fifty. It's doable. You know? Mm-hmm. Which mm-hmm. is a pretty it's a pretty big uh revelation to 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 learn, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's clearly still gonna be a big battle, but you're going from facing off against an entire planet full of them to just fifty of them. Yeah. At least pure blooded ones. The odds have just increased in the coalition's favor. Yeah. I mean, I I don't know, like they clearly still have forces that are available to them, yeah, that, and resources that they can use to conquer whoever they need to conquer. But you know, it's no longer an army of supermen, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if even if they have a half-breed Viltrumites among them, they they still have a pretty sizable army and they're still yeah. really strong too but yeah at least you know that they're not as strong as a pure-blooded viltrumite yeah so you still have some of a like slightly better chance well it just means that we need more battle beast yeah exactly <laughs> Dude, that that character is fun man yeah he's, he's a cool fun to looking look animal warrior man <laughs> yeah it's fun. It's just fun. It just reminds me of the toy. Yeah, those little '80s figures, Battle yeah. Beast toys. I love those toys, man. 
Yeah, I collected those too. They would have those holograms on their chest. Yeah, each each one you rub and it uh, reveals what element they serve or what element power they have. Yeah, yeah, those were fun. It was like fire, uh, water, and log. (laughs) 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 You know that element log. Yeah, because because. uh, you know, fire beats log, but log beats water. Yeah. Because <laughs> you can dam up a bunch of water with yeah. logs. That's what beavers do. Yeah. So, you know, it's like rock, paper, scissors. Every, <laughs> everybody gets their battle beast out, and you don't know who wins until you rub the hologram and you see what element they are. Yep. And if you have yep. water, you'll beat the fire. If you have fire, you'll beat the wood. But if you have wood and they have water, you win. Yeah, that's your ace, for mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. What element do you think Battle Beast is? <sighs> I'm going to go with. I'm gonna go with Log. I'm gonna, you know, he is a creature of the. I'm not gonna say Earth. He's a creature of the Log. He's a. <laughs> he's a. He's a mammal. He's he's feline looking, yeah. And uh, you know what? What? Where does a lion live? It doesn't live in fire. It doesn't live in water. It lives in log. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do lions live in logs? <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Dang, all those hours of watching National Geographic. They don't know nothing. <laughs> <laughs> it's all doctored footage. Yeah. I thought lions lived in the savannas. No. Apparently they, they live, live in, in logs. logs. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh um, yeah, the, the other the other thing that uh I didn't mention was we see the return of Dropkick and Fight Master and they take Invincible back to the future. Yeah. And in the future, well, I mean, it's basically a future time travel story, but in the future, there's a tyrannical king, and uh, Invincible is the only one who has the strength to stop him. And it turns out that the tyrannical king is the immortal, grown, driven insane by just living being too immortal. Yeah, exactly. But even that, you know, seemingly uh, short adventure story did lay some foundation for potential future developments because yeah i mean yeah because the immortal basically almost reveals information about uh he he gives some details away about how because Mm -hmm. invincible left and immortal was left in charge as a result immortal like there's an implication that invincible was the ruler of the planet, but he left the planet and he put the immortal in charge in his place. Oh, I didn't even realize that Invincible was the ruler of the planet. I, 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 I think just that that was the implication because there's a scene where Immortal is yelling at him and he says, "You never should have left me in charge of Earth. I'm not a Viltrumite. I knew I couldn't do it. You never should have made me do this." So, you know, if he says that. I figured that it probably meant that Mark had been in charge at some point. Oh. Well, the way I read it was... 
And then the, left the, following, the following panel says, this is all your fault. I've done all this because of you. As leader of the Empire, you should have. And then he gets cut off and Mark's like, stop. Just stop talking. Yeah. I don't want to hear this. Okay, so that... Okay. I, I, I remembered that first part of it more clearly. I, I, I might have missed that part about leader of the Empire. But when I first read it, I read it as he just left him in charge of defense of the planet. I didn't I didn't oh, read it as okay. him leaving him in charge of an empire, but I mean that second line I guess makes it more Yeah. Clear that yeah, he might have had yeah, that'll, some that completely empire. changes the flavor of it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. In addition to that, um there was also the return of this other character I don't even know if the character had a name, but that giant cyclops thing. Yeah, the yeah. one that was a kid yeah. that got turned into a giant monster and he wanted he to could just be president. Yeah, exactly. He wanted <laughs> to be president because he was strong enough. Yeah. But we see him again, and Invincible basically continues that story by uh, subduing the kid and trying to find a way to he 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 subdues the kid brings him back to Cecil and basically says we're going to try to find a way to turn you back into a kid yeah but do you think Cecil's going to try to just figure out a way to control him and use him as a weapon yeah <laughs> i mean it's it's pretty naive especially at this point uh yeah, for, but it's not like Mark, Mark can do, just do anything for him himself. It's not like Mark can try and help That's him become true. a kid again. What's he going to do? Is is he going to yeah. be like, I'm going to mix Snapple flavors and <laughs> you try them and see if any of them turn you back into uh, uh, a kid. Here, I took Red Rush and Mountain, Mountain Berry Gatorade and I mixed them. Uh, see if this does anything to you. <laughs> Yeah, that's not happening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, I think it's also funny that that's like how I would have envisioned science. <laughs> like if I was to do science, that would be me doing science. <laughs> Man, if if I had if it had been me, I would have just been like, okay, I'm going to take you to my friend Robot and maybe he can figure you <laughs> out. And then just, you know, pick up that big monster big big giant kid monster dude. Fly yeah. over to that bridge w where the headquarters is and just leave him there. <laughs> He's too big to fit inside the building. Yeah. And speaking of, you know, curing monsterism, uh, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, Robot and Monster Girl have some developments in their story. And mm -hmm. what, what happens there is, you know, she gets upset because... The way that her powers work is every time she turns into this giant monster, she, when she reverts back, her she she begins to get younger every time to the point where she'll probably age out of existence. And yeah. what we find is that Robot has come up with a solution for that. And essentially... What's been happening is every time she turns into the her monster form, whenever she reverts back to her human form, uh, what, the transformation 
destroys all her cells and when she turns back to her human form it rebuilds it it rebuilds all her cells but it rebuilds it wrong and that's mm -hmm. why she's constantly regressing in her age and what robot did was he created a belt that would essentially record her cellular structure before her transfer before each transformation and when she reverts back from her monster from her monster form to her human form it will fill in the gaps and essentially uh, prevent her from uh, regressing in her age. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's a development there. Um, we did mention in previous podcasts that uh, the way that Robot's story has been going over the course of the series, uh, there's been... You know, ups and downs in the sense that he was doing a lot of suspicious stuff at first, and we thought that he was kind of being—he was up to something suspicious and potentially no good. Mm -hmm. But then there was a revelation yep. that he was actually a good dude, and all he was trying to do was clone himself. Mm -hmm. But then we only got—you know—we only ended that store that development with another like flip-flop which was maybe there is something else that he's working on which is also suspicious and bad he's got ulterior motives with exactly. monster girl yeah so there's a lot of like back and forth with with his with the, his story so it's I'm, I'm still invested and curious to see how that ends yeah yeah totally yeah. right I now really, i really like his design by the way like his uh the robot suit yeah it's it's a good design it kind of reminds me of his face kind of reminds me of zorn from yeah. uh x-men oh, totally i totally yeah. know what you mean man uh it's it's got like this weird kind of like, like a skull face yeah exactly i was i was thinking like a scarecrow but yeah that works yeah yeah i was also thinking about the new design they gave to angstrom levy and he's I like it, man. He's got this weird little uh, thing supporting his head now and, and, like, extra shoulder padding. But the rest of his suit, like, they, they gave him a cape. He 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 reminds me of Ultimate Magneto. Yeah, I can see it in the color scheme for sure. Yeah. But even his face, like, we also see he's he got, like, a bunch of stars. Some, yeah, and he's he's installed some things on his head, too. Yeah. Or maybe he's wearing things. Uh, it, it's I can't. I'm not really sure if they're just like things that are like part of him cybernetically, or if they're just like clothes that he's wearing, like like a head support thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's there's a lot to look forward to in in future issues, man. Like, yeah, a lot of stuff has has happened. Yeah, I I was pretty uh, captivated by those those first early by that those some of the plot lines in the earlier uh, chunks of this year. You know that was I'm I'm really wanting to know how how those things turn out. You know yeah. the the Cecil story arc as well as the Amber story. I think those are the two big ones for me. 
Yeah, and Om- Kid Omni Man. Oh yeah, and Kid Omni Man for sure, for sure. Yeah. What did you think about the art in these issues? Because now we have a new inker and a new colorist. Did you see the difference at all? I or have any thoughts on their did. contributions? Um, maybe this is a testament to like the kind of kid I was. Mm-hmm. But I, I think I, I did notice it, and maybe it was just a matter of, hey, this feels different and. You know, because it's different, I don't like it as much. So, yeah. so again, that might be a testament to the kind of kid I was, or just like a throwback to to how I was, and it's a vestige of something that I still carry with me. Um, I mean, it still looks like the the way that the figures look; they still look like Ryan Otley's art, but yeah, they're. I don't know. I, I think I just have to get used to the the new inking and the coloring. Yeah. To yeah. be honest. Yeah. It, it, to me, um, FCO Placencia's coloring, it, it feels like he uses a lot more hues and, and works on rendering a lot more different tones on, on like the same kind of surface than Bill Crabtree did. Like Bill Crabtree's coloring, it was... It feels... It, it popped because... Older. Yeah, it was flat, but it, it popped. Yeah. Whereas with FCO Placencia's coloring, it, it's like when you look at somebody's face in lighting, like there are different shades and tones to it because of the lighting. So it, it just looks it looks a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if it's like photorealistic, but because it's hard to say it's photorealistic because it's a cartoony drawing style, mm. but the lighting is like trying to be more realistic i think yeah yeah and I mean, it's it's just a lot more a lot more uh rendered in general in terms of the yeah. colors well that's what I, I i guess hearing you talk about it i can articulate a little better my thoughts which is i do think that that flat coloring works a little better for it because it's cartoony yeah, yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Plus, I was so used to it after, you know, 50 issues. Yeah, yeah. So, giving it this realistic lighting and, uh, you know, coloring, it just, yeah, it just feels weird, you yeah. know? Yeah, I, I think I still have to get used to it, too. Yeah. Like, this is probably one of his earlier works, too, Placencia, because he ended up um, becoming kind of a big name years later when he did uh, Scott Snyder's and Greg Capullo's new 52 Batman. Mm. I, I think, I think that was when he started to like really uh, get more notice since he was working on Batman. And that yeah. was, that was a popular run despite all the times we, uh, you know, disrespect it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> people, people liked it. People bought it. Uh, <laughs> probably the best thing that I can say about it. <laughs> it was a comic book. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it exists. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, I. Yeah, did you have any other thoughts, or were there any other like plot plot points that you uh, that jumped out at you? Uh, I guess. 
The only other thing that stood out to me that I don't think we mentioned was the stuff with Titan and the crime syndicates. Like there, there was a breakout at the prison where they freed Multipol. And yeah. That that, that storyline didn't really get resolved, but it seems like there's some kind of power struggle between the different crime syndicates and and Isotope and Titan. Uh, yeah. Are on one side, and it looks like they're they're gonna have to you know regroup and. There might be some kind of uh, syndicate war or something like that in the works. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, just like any other any other uh, year of Invincible that we've discussed, it always feels like a lot of stuff happened, man. Like there's just so much yeah. going on. I mean, I will say that there was one other very like brief plot development which was uh those parasite aliens oh I, that's I, right yeah like yeah, they we got, got one got page. page of that yeah yeah one page but, in issue 58 yeah like the last time we saw them uh i, I don't even really fully remember what had happened but the, we were i think the heroes were under the presumption that they had defeated these parasites and yeah. that was, you know, that was the end of it. And they brought the astronaut back home, back to Earth. Uh, and, yeah, and they were content with themselves. But it turns out that one of the parasites had hidden inside his body. And now it's multiplying. And we see him locked up in his room, uh, just growing his army of parasites. Yeah, that's that's gonna be all sorts of bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It took them. It took the heroes a lot to beat them that other time. Yeah. Any final thoughts or anything, Albert? Uh, no, no. I I I enjoyed this year's uh plot developments. I'm I'm into it, and I look forward to. To year six of Invincible. Yeah, totally. Same here, man. All right. Well, this is Between the Gutters signing off. Thank you for listening, and we will catch you next week. Next week, we will talk about Loki comics because the Loki Disney Plus series is going to start soon, so we, we figured we'd do... I don't know if we'll do a deep dive, but we will do a dive into Loki's stories in preparation to yeah. hype ourselves up for the series, for the TV series. Yeah. It'll be fun. Yeah. So this is Between the Gutters, signing off. Peace out, everybody. Bye, guys. Albert? Yo. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen inside a comic book store? Oh, man. Um, initially, my res- my first thought was 
probably all the various uh, adult comic books or posters that happen to be around in the adult section. Um, like, I couldn't name a specific thing like uh, or a specific incident. I just remember... What about something like Tarot by Jim Balint? Well, I mean, that... I'm not embarrassed. That should just be embarrassed for itself. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I'm sure there were a lot of times where I happened upon, you know, an exposed breast or something, and I was just like, this is not something that you I mean, feel comfortable... You mean in a comic book, right? In a comic book, yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> in a comic book store. Uh, but thinking about it now, there there are a bunch of cringy things uh, that just happen to exist in comic book stores. It, it's an ecosystem, man. Like, uh, there are just all kinds of people that... I've, I'm embarrassed for them. <laughs> I'm embarrassed <laughs> for them. Uh, there was... The one that came to my mind was this one time we went and uh, I don't even know who this dude was, but you were telling me about it. Actually, we were we were just happened to be in the store, and we were just we were at Heroes in Campbell, just minding our own business. And it was I want to say it was during a free comic book day or something. There was like some sort of event going on, and this lady was just standing by the free comic books that were available. Oh, yeah, and, I, I think I know what you're gonna talk about. <laughs> yep, and. She, you know, she was just looking at what she could get for free, like just kind of making her decision. And this guy just walks up to her, or he doesn't walk up to her. He, you know, he walks up to where she's at. He stands there, and he just strikes up a conversation with her, talking about this Catwoman comic and how, you know, how it's all political and blah blah blah, and how he thinks he basically thinks it's beneath him or whatever, and. You know, he he totally makes this poser ass move where he talks about how I prefer comics from a certain era, from like the seventies or anything before the seventies, before things got too political, blah blah blah. And like I wasn't aware of this guy because, quite honestly, he was pawn scum to me. Like he was nothing. <laughs> like I I I think I might have just been vaguely aware that he was talking to this person, but. Then you brought him to my attention after that, because <laughs> you you just happened to 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 catch. I was, I was a little closer, so I was able to hear better. Yeah, and I'm I'm embarrassed for the human race that this guy exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I remember that guy was saying how he he doesn't buy any modern comics, uh, exactly for the reasons you mentioned because comics today are are too political and they're always trying to have an, a share and push an agenda or whatever. Yeah. And, and, and the funny thing is, is that that day was free comic book day. Yeah. And a couple hours later we went to another store and we saw him there too. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You're right. And, uh, one of the things, no, okay. So I do remember catching bits and pieces of the conversation. And I think I remember telling you this part, which was, one of the things that I do remember him saying to this woman was how, yeah, what I remember him saying was something something to the effect of, 
I don't even go to comic book stores that often. You know, he tried to make it seem like yeah. he just happened to be here that one time. Yeah. You know? But, again, like you said, we went to this other store, and this dude was was at this other store. And it's just like, who are you lying to, man? Who are you lying to? <laughs> what What is this for? What is this all about? <laughs> Loser. <laughs> Yeah, and the the funny thing was, the funny thing was, I I was like aware vaguely that like this guy was talking to this woman, but in my mind I was just like, oh, I guess they know each other or something like that. You know, I was <laughs> I I really wasn't invested in their conversation because I just didn't care. You were focused then, on finding cheap comics. Exactly, but then you 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 like illuminated the the story to me a little more by providing me with this detail which was you know she was just standing there minding her own business and this guy walks up to her and that was his opening line for a conversation with this yeah. person if if i if it would had been me and if this guy had just like walked up to me and like started a conversation it would have it would have pissed me off to like no like to no end you know mm-hmm. it's just like mm-hmm. it's not even what he has to say it's just this whole it's like i'm trying to mind my business why are you talking to me <laughs> do i know you do, did i give off any indication that i'm trying to be friends with you <laughs> go away <laughs> go away <laughs> You disgusting little person, just leave. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I think Drew has observed me in these situations enough where it's pretty evident that I don't want to talk to people at these things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you... You... When you're at a comic book sale, you're there for the comics. You're not there to socialize or indulge in partake, being part of a community or anything like that. You're you're there purely for comics. And yeah. when people try to talk to you about the most inane stuff, you ain't having it, man. I still remember this other time. <laughs> we were at this comic book store in Pacifica. And then this one guy tried to talk to you while you were digging through comics. You're digging through long boxes. Yeah. You know, I was there, but I was I was farther away, and I think this was the guy that worked at the store. I think, yeah. right? Yeah. And he started talking well, to you about. That's the thing. I didn't even realize he worked at the store until like maybe towards the end of the conversation. <laughs> I think, because I just thought he was just a dude. I was just like, okay, whatever, right? Like I was, again, I wasn't really concerned with him. Like unless you're taking my money, so that I can take this book, like you're practically nothing to me. (laughs) (laughs) What what was he trying to talk to you about? Was it some DC movie? (sighs) Yeah. So we were, we, we went in and the guy was trying to talk to us about Batman versus Superman. Oh yeah, that's right. Batman V Superman. (laughs) Yeah. He was like all excited about it and he was, okay. So he was like, are you, are you okay? So I was standing there looking through this box, you know, just minding my own business, and he was just like, I, I, I forgot what he said, but I think he said something like, 
are you going to watch Batman v Superman? And I was just like, no. And then I, or not really. And then I just went back to looking through the box. <laughs> yeah. And, and I was a witness to this. So I'm going to say right off the bat. So all you listeners can see this clearly in your mind's eye. When this guy was talking to Albert, Albert didn't even do the courtesy of looking at this dude in the face. <laughs> like Albert kept his eyes on the comics the entire time. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though. I didn't want to give him the indication that I was going to engage with him. I wanted it to be clear that I am res- I want him to respect my boundaries and my space in this moment. <laughs> this guy did not pick up on that social cue at he all. He really didn't, man. Like, <clears throat> And then the dude started, like... <laughs> he, he started talking even more... Um, after that, he, he asked, like, what comics were we were into, and he, he told us he was into Injustice, and I, I think he might have asked if I I was into it or if I had any interest in it, and I just – and I didn't entertain that at all. I was just like, no, I'm not I, – I don't really have any interest in Injustice. And then he started, like, trying to talk to us about his girlfriend. Yes. No, here's the funny thing, like, and and I gotta give Drew like some, he he's he's def he definitely showed more signs of humanity in this instance <laughs> than I did, but you could tell that this guy was leaving breadcrumbs in order to try to get us to take a bite and engage him in this conversation. So he was talk. I, I forgot how he 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 led into the topic of how he had a girlfriend. Wait, no, I think we were talking about two cats and then he said his girlfriend worked there. Yeah. He was, we were talking about two cats comic book store and he talked about how his girlfriend worked there or something like that. And he like, he left some sort of like opening for, for us to go, Oh, your girlfriend works there or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I think I just went, Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I think that's basically what I said. And and then he, he tried to tell us the story yeah. about how the owner of two cats didn't want him coming around or something like that. Yeah. And, and for some reason, <laughs> this guy felt compelled to show us a photo on his phone of his girlfriend. <laughs> yeah. You remember that? Yeah. 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 Well, that's what I was. Uh, yeah. That's what I was getting at was. So Drew like engaged this guy in this conversation. Yeah. He was like, Oh, your girlfriend works there. And he like, he like looked at the guy's pictures and whatever, you know, I totally give Drew credit for this. Like this was a moment of humanity on, <laughs> on his end, you know, like just overwhelming, uh, humanity. <laughs> <laughs> I did not look up from the box at all. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 funny how the most embarrassing things we've ever seen inside a comic book store are, are people. <laughs> you want to hear a story that I've seen sure, about sure. an embarrassing story I've seen? What you got? So, if Shanice is listening to this, maybe he can uh, help me remember or you know give you some details. If, I'm, if my memory is spotty, but back when we were in Davis, we were at the comic book store there, and there were 
there were some regulars that we'd always see on Wednesdays when we did our thing. And there's this one young man, I, I guess he might have been in, in high school at the time. If he was in college, he might have been like, he was, he had to have been a little bit younger than us. But I remember him uh, in the store one day, and I don't really know anything that he was looking at. I just remember he struck up a conversation with our friend, Wes, who was the guy who worked at the store. Um, and I wasn't really paying attention too much to to what they were saying at first. But then at one point, this kid, he... He, was, he started talking about how he went to a, a summer camp one year and he met a girl who looked like Thessaly from Sandman. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you know that character, she's she's got like, I, I guess like long red hair, right? And, and glasses, kind of like this nerdy witch from the 90s. Yeah. And this this kid started talking about how hot she was and... <laughs> and it was just super weird, man. And and the other thing is, this is going to sound mean, but I feel like I kind of have to do it. But he had this really nasally voice, man. So he was like, <laughs> I met this girl at summer camp, and she looked like Thessaly. She was so hot. You wouldn't uh. believe how hot she was. And he, he just he just like went on and on about how amazing this girl that looked like Thessaly was. And I don't even think that he talked to her or anything. He was just, like, getting caught up in these fantasies, you know, because she looked like a comic book character to him. <laughs> and then and then Shanice and I, we were listening. Like, I'm pretty sure we stopped browsing the comics, and we were just, like, standing on the other side of the rack listening to this guy talking to Wes. <laughs> <laughs> because we were like, we have never heard anything this embarrassing before yeah it's super cringy the idea of this of this this person man and and uh, <sighs> the way that conversation ended it always stood out to me because at, at some point wes i guess he had enough too he heard he heard enough and he he kind of interrupted the kid and he was like stop look around you what do you <laughs> see and the kid looks around, and, he's, and he says, comic books? And then Wes immediately says, no, you see real effing people in here. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> stop getting caught up in your dreams about comic book characters and live in the real world. <laughs> and the kid had nothing to say. Uh, I was like, man, that was brutal, man. He just humbled seriously. the kid. But, but it was like, it was it was well done, man. Like after after the kid left, the three of us had a big laugh about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah, like just the the kind of people that go into these places. Like I I love comics and I defend uh, people who who read comics, but. It is a hard thing to do sometimes. <laughs> it is a hard task defending comic book readers sometimes because the the weirdest, most awkward kind of uh, people that you know people stereotypically think of, we're aware of those people too, you know? We're not oblivious to that. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
She looked just like Thessaly. <laughs> <laughs> uh.